Thank you for being here, and um, thank you to the ladies that cooked all day. I think it was uh, looked ex excellent. I uh, didn't get any of it yet, but I will plan on getting some at some point. But uh, if you have your Bibles tonight, and you would, open them with me to Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. And uh, tonight I am going to read more from my notes just because tonight we are looking at a passage of Scripture that has um, short-term promises from God. But if you really begin to study these, many of these promises made in chapter 30 are not just about the nation of Israel coming back from captivity, but it is a reference to the book of Revelation where the Lord Himself, and that picture. And so tonight I'm, I'm going to go very slow. I don't promise to have all the answers, but I'm going to try to write them down if you do. And to just really show you and to remind you that so many times in our lives we expect God to answer our prayers um, immediately. And sometimes we even expect God to answer our prayers in our lifetime. But sometimes we truly do not see the deliverance and promise that God has for us until we get to glory. You know, we pray for healings. We pray for God to uh, work in people's lives. But yet we do know that many times true healing only comes when what? Yeah, in death, when you go to be with the Lord. Sometimes we pray for peace in our relationships or we pay for peace in our homes, but sometimes peace doesn't come until we go to be with the Lord. And so tonight I really want you to listen to this and understand that just because God does not work on our timetable, just because God doesn't work in the time that we think He should, doesn't mean that He doesn't have a plan and a purpose. And so... Um, we just start here in verse 30, and uh, it's really, uh, I think it's important to notice that he tells him here in verses 1 and 2, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. So he, he reiterates this and it's just a reminder and many commentators really just feel that because of the significance of this, which all of the Bible is significant, but because it's not just talking about the immediate return of the nation of Israel, but because it is prophetic in its nature that he was just reiterating to him this need to write it down, to, to document what is being said. And one, that is so that we would have a record of God's Word and promises to us. But it's also important, I think, because in the Old Testament, if you made a prophecy and it didn't come true or it went differently than you prophesied, it called you a what? A false prophet. And so even though Jeremiah doesn't get to see the fulfillment of all of these in his lifetime, we can look now as God is continuing to work and some of it has not happened yet and we can be reminded that 
God is still faithful. He's faithful to His promises in the Old Testament. He's faithful to His promises in the New Testament. And that might not mean a lot to you today, but there are, will come times in your life when the promises of God are truly what carries us through situations. The fact that God promised that He would never let me out of the palm of His hand is something that doesn't mean maybe as much to you when you are strong in your faith and your walk with God is going well, but when you stumble and fall and make a mess of things, it's in those moments that I take great hope when I struggle to forgive myself, when I struggle to see how God could love me, when I see how, struggle to see how God could have a purpose for my life, that I'm reminded that God does not separate Himself from me based on my goodness. That I am His because of His grace and His mercy and His love and His long-sufferingness. And that's on Him. He is the one that keeps me saved. He is the one that keeps me in the family of God. You know, it uh, might not mean a lot to you, when you have a lot of friends, a lot of people that are loyal to you. But in those, those moments when you find yourself totally alone or the people that you thought you trust didn't become trustworthy, uh, those verses where the Lord tells us that He never leaves us and forsake us, those promises mean more. Now, the promises are the same all the time. They're, they're always valid. But depending on what we go through is the ones that we lean on the most. Just like your sin is different in, in your, its nature than mine. Not that my sin is worse than yours, but that you probably struggle with things that are different than mine. You might not have a pride issue, but you might have uh, an anger issue. You, you might not have a homosexuality issue, but you might have a lust issue. And so we have to be reminded that in the Bible, when you read, for me, those those, those stories and those verses that speak to my sin and my struggle really mean more in those moments. When I've lost my temper, and if you were here Sunday night, I've been getting all kinds of grief for uh, my, my wife's statement that I made. I didn't say you should make that statement to your wife, by the way, about Proverbs 31. I said you shouldn't make a verse statement like that. But in those moments when I do things like that, I am glad that God forgives us when we ask. I'm glad that I can be reminded that what God put together, let no man tear asunder. And so those, those verses mean a lot to me when we're not fighting, but especially when we're having difficult times. Verses on the fact that God does not let His own people go without what they need don't mean a lot when you have everything that you need. But when you lose your job and your finances are a mess and the debt collectors are calling and, and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills and it's in those moments that those verses mean even more. And so tonight I really want you to hear that, that, that what the Lord is trying to really remind them is in the middle of this captivity, in the middle of these days where does God still love us because of this judgment, He's reminding them that He has a future plan for them, but he also has an ultimate plan. And so in my life as a Christian, I know that God has a purpose and a plan for my life, but truly the great purpose and plan for my life is one day I'm going to be like him in heaven. 
I'm going to be in a place where there is no sin, no sickness, no death, no pain. And so I get the immediate blessings from being a born-again believer, having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but I'm not going to truly, fully understand and get to enjoy everything that God has promised for me until I get there. And if we're honest tonight, before we jump right into this, most of us lack patience and are spoiled rotten. And if God doesn't do what we want now, it's just like I can't believe it. But friends, we have to trust that God has a purpose and a plan. And so let's just jump right in here because in verse 3 it says, For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And so we are thankful for this because if you know anything about the Jewish people in the Old Testament, the promised land is a big deal. It's mentioned over and over again. You can read about it in the book of Judges and, and in Joshua where they're commanded to take the land and to live in houses that they did not build and to enjoy uh, vineyards that they did not plant and, and all of these things. And so the promised land is really in the Jewish people's eyes it, that's, the, that's the place they're supposed to be. It's the place they want to be. It's the place of blessing. It's the place of God's favor. And, and we know in this day it's where the temple is, where they're worshiping God. And so everything is tied that blessings equals the land. It's the promised land. And as you remember, the children of Israel in the wilderness, they were searching for the promised land. That's where the Lord was leading them and they wouldn't go in. And we know the Bible says that they wandered for 40 years. And so he's making them this promise. But I want to show you here in verses 4 through 7 <clears throat> that he just reminds them and talks about the trouble that is to come. It says in verses 4 through 7, Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hand on his loins, like a woman in labor, and all faces turn pale? We're going to go on to verse 9. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is in the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck, and I will burst your bones. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up from them." I want to read to you just very briefly what uh, Dr. W.A. Criswell states about these few verses. Chapter 30 is a lucid description of the last days. The period covered has its initiation in the time of Jacob's trouble, while the conclusion is the millennial reign of Christ 
and the kingdom age of Israel. The awesome days of the seven-year period referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble or elsewhere as the great tribulation. And if you want to write these verses down so that you can study them when you get home, Matthew 24, 21, <clears throat> Revelation 6, verse 2, are presented in terms of a man with a contorted and paling face like that of a woman in labor. Now, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that at some point you've either seen a woman's face in labor, you have either watched it in a movie, but in that moment of God-given blessing of children, that face is terrifying. Right? It's, it's not a, oh, I, let me fix my makeup as I push this child out. Looks like somebody's getting ready to tackle someone on the 40-yard line. Ah! <laughs> you know, and in our case, the doctor always said, now if you get wheezy and pass out, we're going to leave you there, okay? She's our focus. But he gets this idea, and he goes on and says, however, the apparent impasse will be solved through the intervention of Israel's Messiah. And Jacob, which is talking about the nation, will be saved out of the distress of those days. In fact, these tragic times are just the prelude setting the stage for the climax of Daniel's 70th week. And so if you want to write this down, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, the rescue of Israel and the establishment of the Messianic kingdom. This tribulation era is clearly a time of little restraint of evil. It is characterized by natural calamity and great fear. And so, so many people do view this because he mentions Israel and Judah, both of the kingdoms. He, he is referencing to all the nation of Israel, to that end times that we read about in the book of Revelation. And so I think it's important because he talks about how bad it will be and if you've read anything about the tribulation period in the book of Revelation or what Jesus says about it in Matthew, you know that it's going to be a time of great trouble, time of great persecution. It, it, even, it even talks about how the people will try to hide and, and flee, but there will be nowhere to hide and flee from. That's why most scholars believe this is that way because it will be a day unlike any other. And so if it's a day like any other, it has to be unique. And so that great day when God works and moves, but yet He is going to save. So He talks about the great judgment to come, but He says, but. But they will be saved by their Messiah. And, and most scholars do not believe this is a reference to the earthly David, but it is uh, the one who sits on David's throne. Listen to some of these verses that talk about this great time. Revelation 6, verse 17. For the great day of His wrath has come, and who is able to stand? It's not a question, it's a statement meaning that no one can stand against the judgment of God. In Matthew 24, verse 21. Then there will be great tribulation, such as not has been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, no nor ever shall be. And so uh, many people understand that when, when Babylon destroyed the nation of Israel and Jerusalem, that that's as bad as it could get. 
And as we looked with Saul and Jonathan, they were surrounded, they were outnumbered, it was as bad as it could be, but then they realized they didn't have any weapons. And so it's this idea that no matter what the nation of Israel had been through up until this point, there was going to be a day where it got worse. Now just imagine, <coughs> excuse me, if you are a Jewish person looking at the history of the Jewish people, whether it would have been captivity, slavery in the Old Testament and the Intertestament period, whether it would have been the fact that the nation of Israel did not exist for almost 2,000 years in its current form, to the fact in the 1930s and 40s that the Germans tried to annihilate the Jewish people in gas chambers and in um, all of the things that were done to them. And to read this and think there is coming a day even worse than that. I mean, it, it is almost hopeless. But then he speaks to that that says, For it shall come into that, it, but, in verse 7, He shall be saved out of it, for it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break His yoke from your neck. And if you remember Jeremiah, uh, just a few uh, verses ago, and a couple chapters ago, he had put the yoke on him. And they broke it and he went back to God and they say, don't put a wooden one on you, you put a metal one on them and you show them that they're not going to be able to break this. But listen to what he says. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that who? I. God says, I'm going to set you free. You ain't going to have to set yourself free. You ain't going to work yourself free. Uh, I loved the Indiana Jones movies growing up, okay? Don't care much for the new ones they just made. They probably won't like the newest one. There comes a point where Harrison Ford should probably retire, okay? But you never know. It could be good. But my favorite thing about the Indiana Jones movies was not the snakes. It was the fact that no matter what he got himself into, he was able to what? Get himself out of it through some kind of a ridiculous thing that we know probably wouldn't happen in real life. And I'll never forget where he's got the, the bag of, what is it, uh, in one hand and the, oh, yeah, right? And I just think of those and this idea. But God is saying here, you're not going to be able to get yourself out of this mess. You're not going to be able to throw off the bondage and the, the situation that you're going through. But he says, I will. I am going to set my people free. And it goes on and says, and will burst your bonds, and this is why I believe it speaks to the end of times, foreigners shall no more enslave them. The Jewish people have been in slavery back and forth throughout their entire history. And so we know that day has not come yet because even after they came back to the land, they didn't get to stay there forever. And so it's, it's, it's not, in my opinion, possible that this is just speaking to them coming home. It's God saying that when the world comes against Israel in the book of Revelations, when there is no one standing with the nation of Israel, when all the nations of the earth surround them, that God will arrive. That He's going to defend them. And it goes on and says, But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Do you believe today that the Jewish people 
are serving their king. Sorry, no. Right, because what does the New Testament teach? Who is the king of kings and lord of lords? Jesus. But we know, if you've read the book of Revelation, that there's going to come a day when God is going to send a great revival amongst the Jewish people. They're going to recognize Jesus as their Messiah. You can read about that in the book of Revelation. And in that day, they will praise Him. And so sometimes people will say, well, we we shouldn't evangelize the Jewish people. I disagree. You cannot go to heaven today by just being an ethnic Jew. Now, God says we should bless the Jewish people. God says we should stand with the Jewish people. The Bible says those who bless Israel, that God will what? Bless them. I believe that. But I do not believe that you can go to heaven just because you are an ethnic Jew. The Bible says there's one way to be saved. And what is that? Jesus Christ. And so I believe the Jewish people have to come to faith in Jesus Christ just like Paul did, just like Peter did, just like Andrew did, just like the disciples, the early church. They could not. Paul over and over and over again said, why are you getting entangled with these things that you've left from the Jewish faith? And you read the book of Galatians and he starts talking about how these things can't save you. It is Jesus Christ and Him alone. And so I think that gives us hope. Not necessarily because we're the nation of Israel, but I believe that God still operates that way. Why are you saved today? Because of you or because of Him? Him. He's the one that before the foundation of the world put together a plan to send Jesus Christ to die upon the cross to be buried and rise again for you and I to be saved. Who is the one who sent the Holy Spirit into the world that convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment? He did. And so it's the same today that when you and I, maybe you're not stuck in physical bondage or in a different land, that it is God who is the one that is the chain breaker. We sing a song about that, right? And, uh, and it's, it's, it's true. Who is the one that sets people free from addiction? Who's the one that saves a lost spouse? Who's the one that is able to give us victory over whatever it is? It's, it's the Spirit of God. It's the thoughts. But yeah, but I, but I think that you're going to see a huge outpouring. So I don't believe like the Jehovah Witnesses that it's only 144,000 um, that people get saved. And uh, if you're familiar with that passage, that's not what it teaches at all, right? That that's the only ones who get saved. If you know anything about that, what is that referring to? 144,000. Yes. And so I don't know how many Jewish people are on the earth today. I have no idea what that number is. Uh, I think I saw where Israel had vaccinated, uh, I don't know, 63% of their people, and it said it was 42.5 million or something like that. I don't know if that's accurate or not. I just made that up. I'm not sure if I read it or not. But if you think that they're spread out throughout the whole earth, we don't know how many there are. Let's, let's just say there are 100 million Jewish people. Maybe that's low, maybe that's high, I don't, I don't know. But if God sends 144,000 to them, we're going to see a huge move of God. And so, I mean, you know, 30 million, 40 million, 50 million, 60 million, I don't know. But yet God is going to do that. And so in comparison to the Gentile church in heaven, there's a, I mean, that, you're talking about billions compared to hundreds of millions maybe. So, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so that's why we should pray 
for the nation of Israel. We should pray for, um, for those people that are in the nation of Israel that are, are, that are soul winning and that are sharing the gospel. But one, one of these days, God is going to do a supernatural work and it's going to be special because God loves the Jewish people. They are His people. The Old Testament makes it over and over again. He doesn't say it's because of them, right? He says, I'm the one that chose this people. I'm the one who's been faithful to my promises. And so it's going to be a very, very special thing. What do I think about the tribulation? I hope I'm not here. I think it's going to be worldwide. I think that... Um, I, I think that... Um, so I, I'm a pre-tribber. So I believe the rapture happens. You can disagree with me. That's okay. You can be wrong. I can be wrong. Uh, maybe I'm spooled and just don't want to be here, but I think that's what the Bible teaches. And so, um, and so I think it's going to be a terrible place when however many Christians that are on this planet are gone. Uh, I believe, like the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye. And, um, and I sure hope I'm not, it's not halfway through. You know, I'm not a bid tribber, but that's okay if you are. But... Um, but yeah, I think persecution will go on worldwide. I do think, though, that much of what goes on, and you can read that, is going to be centered in the nation of Israel, uh, in Jerusalem itself. Um, and so I don't think, like when you read the Left Behind books, if you read them or watched the movies, it was very Western-oriented. But I think that the whole world is, is accumulating to Israel. That's, that's the final place. That's the final battle. And so... Uh, I do think that persecution will be worldwide. There will be nowhere for Christians to escape to. But I think that most of that is, is really centered on, on Israel. Yeah. Yeah, but the selfish part of me wants no part of the tribulation period. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I want, you to re- I want you to look at verse 10 because I want you to see what he says. Therefore... Do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord. So he just tells them there's going to be a day that is worse than any other day that has ever happened. A period of time is going to be worse than any other time has ever happened. Uh, But he's going to be there for them. And then he says, therefore, do not fear. Now, I know that this ruffles feathers. And I, you know, I just don't care. So, but fear is controlling most people. And we have witnessed it over the last year. Fear has brought the world to its knees. And I'm not saying that you ought to be out licking doorknobs, all right? You know, I'm the only person I know that eats candy off the hospital floor, okay? That's me, and it's, you know. But I'm telling you, friends, fear cannot control your life. Where you worship, where you go, what you do. You ought to be cautious if you have health issues. I understand that. I had COVID. I had the pneumonia. I didn't know if I was going to make it. So I understand. But you know what? I've went up a flight of stairs and been as out of breath as I was when I had COVID. And that had nothing to do with that. That had to do with this. And so I just want you to know that fear cannot control your life, whether it's a fear of losing your job, whether it's a fear of losing your spouse, whether it's a fear of trouble at at work. You cannot let fear control you. And so tonight I want you to hear that if God in the middle of the worst day in history promises to be with them, 
He promises to be with us. And so look what goes on to say. Nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, who will save them? I will save you from afar, and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest, and be quiet. Uh, I think that is important. Have rest and be quiet. Now, I wish my kids would be quiet, but, but it's, it's the stillness, right? I cannot trust God. It's like Mary and Martha, right? One's working, one's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And many times we are so fearful and so worried and so trying to fix it on our own that there is no there is no quietness. There is no rest. And look what it says there in the end of verse 10. And no one shall make him afraid. He says there is never going to be a day after the day that the Lord intervenes that the nation of Israel will have to fear again. There's only one place you can go where there's not going to be any fear. And that's heaven. That's when the Lord sets up His reign. And so that's why I believe that this is not referring to them coming back to the nation where they live, but when God intervenes. Because look what verse 11 says. And I, just, I want to just reiterate this, then I'll stop again. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you, but I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. Now, this is almost like, I'm going to spank you, it'll do you good, but it's going to hurt me worse than it hurts you. See, he says, I'm going to save you, though I have scattered you. God says, I am the one who has scattered you to the ends of the earth. You are facing the judgment for what you've done, but that judgment is not going to be complete. It's not going to be total. You see, it don't matter how much Hitler wanted to eradicate the Jewish people, he could not eradicate the Jewish people. It's not because he couldn't find them. It's not because he didn't have the means. It's because God wouldn't what? Let him. It is that simple. God has a special plan and purpose for the Jewish people, like Brother Bill said. And he says that, and I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. And one commentator says it like this, God reminded Israel that they, though, would indeed see the nations that afflicted them judge, God would also correct them. As they had sinned, God would not allow them to go altogether unpunished. So he says, God is going to judge the nations that are against Israel. But they need to realize they're going to go through some correction themselves. And that's the way God operates. Those whom He loves, He chastens, right? Or disciplines or corrects. Now, He says, I'm going to deal with them other people too. I'm going to deal with the nations that want to eradicate Israel, the nations that hate God, the, the people that will surround the nation of Israel. But He says, you've got to understand there is some correction for you too. It's kind of like this situation that no matter what happens, there's your version 
There's my version, and then there's probably a version in the middle that's what? The truth. And God says, yes, you've got some judgment and correction coming. It's not going to be total, but these other nations are going to get it as well. And so it's just a reminder that God knows how to judge. God knows how to correct. God knows what you need and what I need. You see, the simple truth is this. God knows how to rule and reign, and we do not. Now, I know that doesn't fit well in some of our theology where we're in control of everything. Right? I'm the master of my own home. I'm in, God is the one who rules and reigns. He is the one who sits on the throne of heaven. And when I don't like what he's doing, that's why it tells me in Philippians to do all things without what? Murmuring and complaining. Now, I know you all think I just use that for the fun of it. But if you read the verses before, it talks about what in those verses before? Yeah. That I trust that whatever I'm going through, whatever God is allowing the tested trials in my life, there's a purpose. There's a purpose and a plan. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm more of a blessing guy than a trials and tribulations. Now, I know some of you are really spiritual and you're thinking, oh, not me, Jake. I know I love the trials and tribulations more. That's how I'll pray for you from now on. Lord, you just trial and tribulation them all they can handle. But let's be honest. Most of us like the blessings. But we have to trust that when God allows the situations around us to fall apart, it's not chaos. When God allows a diagnosis of our health that we don't particularly like, God has a purpose. And that's where it gets hard. Because I don't know about you, but if you've ever seen a St. Jude's commercial, you might have asked God, why? I don't understand. Now, I understand theologically that sin has caused the world to be corrupted. Sin and death and sickness and pain. I know that's sin. And God allowed it. But I'm like, why, why does it have to be to a newborn. Why, why can't it be to the pedophile in jail? Why can't it be to that guy that beat up his grandma and took her money and left her dead in the street? Why not God? But God, is, God rules and reigns. And we have to trust Him. And that's where it gets so important to do all things without what? Murmuring and complaining. Now I don't believe it's a sin to ask God why? I believe it is a sin to doubt God and to not believe God, but I believe God is big enough in your prayers to take your feelings and emotions to Him. Why? Because He already knows them. <laughs> and just because we know that we're not supposed to murmur and complain doesn't mean that we don't struggle with it. I mean, no one wakes up in the morning and says, Boy, I'm glad all my three best friends that I've trusted and relied on my whole life all betrayed me in the same day. Lord, I am just so thankful for that. Now, you might not know that they weren't loyal to you anyway and God just removed them out of your life. But in the moment, what do you say? Why? And so I just really want you to hear that, though, that God says judgment will be for them, but it won't be complete. Thoughts? Yeah, the Middle East is a problem that only God can work out. 
I just want you to know that. Uh, yeah, that's, you know, yeah. We, we show them, so. yeah. Well, I mean, you look from, yeah. I mean, you look all the way back to Rome and, and them uh, setting, breaking up the, their empire into sections. You look at, at throughout history and the Middle East, that is God's business to work out. And, and we should be very careful, like I said, how we do that. But you're, you're exactly right. All right. Well, I want to show you here in verses 12 through 15 that God begins to talk about restoring, restoring an incurable affliction. Restoring an incurable restriction. Look what it says there in verse 12. For thus says the Lord, your affliction is what? Incurable. Now, I don't know if you know what that word means or not, but it's pretty self-explanatory. Your word is severe. Your wound is severe. There is no one to plead your cause that may be bound up. You have no healing medicine. All your lovers have forgotten you. They do not seek you, for I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. Why do you cry out above your, about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable because of the multitude... Multitu- excuse me, I cannot read of multitude of your iniquities because your sins have increased. I have done these things to you. Now you're saying, wait a second. He just says He's going to save us. He's going to break our bonds. But yet it says here in verse 12, your affliction is incurable. Your wound is severe. There is no one to plead your cause that you may be bound up. He is giving this idea that there is nothing earthly that can be done that can save the Jewish people in that day of judgment. You say, well, where is America at the, end of the, at the end of the book? I don't know. I have no idea. But I know that it ain't about America at the end of that book. It is about Israel. And so whether America has abandoned Israel, whether they're not able to come to Israel's aid, whatever that looks like, I don't know. I can't, I can't prophesy that to you. But what he says is there is nothing earthly that can heal you, nothing earthly that can cure you. There is no one there to plead your case. It is only by God's intervention that they can be saved. But I want you to see here in verse 14, he says, All your lovers have forgotten you. Why do you think he uses that term, that terminology? Because over and over again, God, through the prophets, accuses the nation of Israel of spiritual adultery, leaving their love for Him for everything else, whether it was idols, whether it was power in Egypt. And He says, in this day, all of those who have brought their attention away from God, they don't want nothing to do with them. Nothing at all. And friends, I think that's important because... In your life and in mine, we are all guilty of pursuing other things other than Jesus. And none of them can satisfy. As you know, and many preachers have said, and and I heard it first with Adrian Rogers, so I'll attribute to him, you know, sin takes you farther than you want to go, it keeps you longer than you want to stay, costs you more than you want to pay. 
And what he's saying is your spiritual adultery, this relationship that you've had with other nations, with other false gods, they're not there for you. But look what it says in verse 14. For I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one for the multitudes of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. He says, you just kept getting more wicked and more wicked and more wicked. And he says, I am the one that's wounded you. Don't blame the Assyrians. Don't blame the Babylonians. This has happened because you would not stay faithful to me. And it just goes on and says that uh, and there in verse 15. Why do you cry about your affliction? Right? It's kind of like when a kid does something they know they're not supposed to do. And in our house, it happens sometimes. Sometimes they act like it didn't happen. But that moment that they know they're in trouble and they know that punishment is coming, what do most kids do? They cry. They beg. I don't know if that's the right word or not. Most kids are like, I am so glad I punched my sister in the face. I can't wait for that spanking. No, it's this simple statement. Daddy, I didn't mean to. Don't spank me hard. I, I don't want this to... And that's what he says. Why are you crying? You did it. You knew what you were doing. You knew the sin that you had, the responsibility that you had. Why do you cry about your affliction? He says, don't moan and groan now because you're being judged. I gave you warning after warning after warning. Because your sins have increased. Look at there in verse 14 and 15. It says that twice. For the multitude of your sins, of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. I have done these things. You go down in verse 15 and he says the same words. When the Bible repeats itself, it is something that you should take note of. And he says literally there, your sin, your wickedness has brought this on yourself. You're weeping at this point. It's not going to do any good. And so it's this idea that God gave the nation of Israel time after time after time to repent. And eventually He said, judgment's coming. And friends, on that great day of judgment, it'll be the same way. God has given the church the mission of going to where? What is the Great Commission? We're to go to what? All nations. All nations are supposed to hear the message that Jesus Christ died upon the cross, He was buried, He rose again for the forgiveness of sins. And if you will repent of your sins, call upon the name of the Lord, turn from your wicked ways, you can be saved. But there is coming a day when it will be too late. There's coming a day when judgment is coming. And so it's just a really... It's a significant text there because God says you've been abandoned by everyone else. I have brought this judgment to you, but it is because of your sin. And so we're just going to have to stop there tonight just because for the sake of time. I don't want to keep you too long. <clears throat> Thoughts? Yeah, I'm just going to go around and blame every. Uh, the fact that I'm overweight on Alicia because she cooks too much food on Wednesday night. Now, it's not got anything to do with the other six days a week, right? But I'm going to blame it on her. 
No, that's why he says over and over again, who does he put the blame on in those verses? You. Your sin. So, how can we pray for you tonight? I don't know if you saw today or not, and not that I agree with the Catholic Church's teaching, but they are getting ready to make a decision this week whether or not to refuse communion to the President of the United States based on the fact that his beliefs do not line up with the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. And while I disagree with the Roman Catholic Church on many, many things, more power to them um, to finally take a stand and say, enough is enough. So, Now, in a Baptist church, that doesn't mean much if we didn't take communion from you. But in the Roman Catholic Church, that is an element of, of grace. It's a big deal. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. If you, you know, it's a... So, yeah. So I am praying... I am praying that the Bible always teaches that discipline, the goal is what? It's an R word. Repentance and reconciliation. And so I've just been praying. Can you imagine what it would be like for the President of the United States to stand in front of the nation and be like, I've sinned against God. And, and it, I just, that's what I'm praying. So, and if he doesn't do it before the whole nation, as long as he does it before God and we see the results, I'm, so be praying about that. Um, not for it to be humiliating or defiant, because that happens a lot of times, but that God would use this as a time of repentance and salvation. And maybe this is what it takes.